0: This is the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best tips and strategies in the world to help you become a smarter, more effective tennis player. You'll hear interviews with pro tour doubles players and coaches, including easy to use lessons to improve your game and win more matches. My name is Will Bocek, founder of the Tennis Tribe, doubles strategy coach and host of the show, Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is our first ever episode with three people on. Uh, Historically, it's always been me interviewing one other person at most. And today, we have Tennis Tribe writer and social media manager Hanlon Walsh on, uh, as well as somebody who we've went ahead, wanted to have on for a while, um, Blair Henley, who is a writer, a Broadcaster, what what do you what do you say you do when people ask Blair? It seems like you do everything in tennis.
1: I usually say I work in tennis media, and people still are confused by that. But but if I try to like actually explain it, they're more confused. So tennis media is sort of the big umbrella.
0: Okay, but for people who don't know, so you travel to tournaments, you interview players uh, after the matches in front of all the fans. Uh, You get the fans going. You do trivia questions uh between sets uh which you did at the dallas open last week and i wanted to ask uh, real quick about that and i I need you to be honest with me i didn't see anyone miss a single trivia question are you telling them the answers before
1: see this is what happens when you have two like (laughs) hardcore fans who are actually there for multiple (laughs) sessions so here's the thing I, if somebody walked up to me that I didn't know was like, do you want to do this thing on camera, on a microphone in front of a stadium of, you know, 2,200 people, I'd be like, absolutely not. (laughs) So in order to sort of sweeten the pot, I explain what the prizes are. And then I also say, should you desire assistance? I might be able to provide that for you.
0: (laughs) I knew there was a system. That sounds fair. I think I would uh, want to know the answer as well. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, w- so when you say tennis media, uh, tell people a little bit more specifically, what are the, all the things. So you're at the tournaments doing what exactly?
1: Yeah. So I think it, it just really depends on what the tournament hires me to do. Um, okay. usually like <laughs> I will tell you at the Dallas open, I was doing all the things I was writing for the program. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not anticipate them like actually putting my face on said program, but when I realized, I <laughs>
2: saw, yeah, saw it a few days when I was there. Like,
1: right, I was like, okay, I need to actually like this needs to this needs to be better than Put the Blair
2: you know, signature on it.
1: <laughs> right, I was like, okay, well, I need to, some effort needs to go in here. <laughs> um, so, did the writing side of things, um, did all the on court uh, stuff, and in Dallas as you mentioned that did include more than your average fan engagement stuff. Um, a lot of tournaments, for instance, I'll be in Indian Wells and it's every once in a while we have, you know, a sunglasses giveaway that we throw out into the stands, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty clear cut. I write the bios for the players. I, I, introduce them. I, depending on what court I am and what tournament I am at, I often play sort of the stage manager role as well. Make sure the player does not barge onto the court when the TV cameras aren't ready. I've gotten to know a lot of camera people in my time, which is actually one of the, it's one of the weirder parts of my job, but one of the parts that I really thoroughly enjoy is that I like know all the, all the camera people like, Hey, it's been since, you know, Cincinnati last year, because you have to often it's, just the camera person who's given me a sign that, okay, it's time to say, and now let's welcome our players to the court. Please welcome blah, blah, blah. So okay. yeah. So many tournaments, it's very strictly put the players on, do the post-match interviews, keep the crowd engaged, let them know when the next match is coming and then do it all again. Um, some tournaments like more fan engagement, some tournaments like me to write. And then some tournaments I do social media. Um, mm-hmm. Cincinnati would be a good example of that where, not only do I do the social media content for the tournament, but I also help out the USTA while I'm there. So I do all, anything that the USTA wants to get pre US open, I'm asking all those questions to the players. So generally some combination of on-camera hosting, stadium hosting, writing, and social media. That was a long answer, but that's that's the answer
0: No, no, that's that's what I was looking for. Yeah, that's exactly what uh, I wanted to hear. Handling anything on the the Dallas Open for Blair? Yeah,
2: I'm, so it sounds like you're kind of the tennis media jack of all trades, staff of one. So I'm curious, what just a general, you know, day in the life looked like for you? Like, what you know, what time did you get on site? What time did you leave? What were you doing in between the matches? Like, give us a little rundown.
1: Sure. So I can give you the rundown specifically for Dallas, and I can tell you that it's I've never had a tournament quite like Dallas before in terms of, <laughs> of, cause it was a home game for me. Technically. I live in Fort yeah. Worth. The tournament was in Dallas. It's about a 45 minute drive with, with no traffic. Um, It was important for me to be there in the mornings to get my kids up out of bed and take them to school. Uh, However, I was not, you know, sometimes depending on how long the night matches go, you might not be wrapping up until 11 something. And then I was writing the next day's, bios and oh. program content after that. So maybe <laughs> I, <laughs> I did not get home until 1230 or one when you included the drive. So, and then waking up at about 645 to get my kids up <laughs> and ready. And then being on site at about 1030, we had uh, a 12 o'clock start. Most tournaments are mm-hmm. 11 o'clock. I was a little surprised actually that they went with the 12 o'clock, but I guess they just wanted and we, we didn't have any overlap, though, um, which was surprising. So we had three matches starting at noon, which is unusual. Usually it's starting at 11. Um, and so pretty much was on site and putting, a, putting players on, interviewing players or giving prizes to fans. <laughs> in the stands. That, that is what that's what took up the day portion. Um, and it's pretty much rinse, repeat until the end of the day, until the end of the tournament. So so there you go.
2: Yeah. I was wondering too, yeah, with you being in Fort Worth, if you like, you know, if it's easier for you for like a home tournament like that to shut it off, like from family and like stay in Dallas and just be kind of in tournament mode all week. But it sounds like you kind of, you know, dip your toes in the family and tournament side (laughs) of it.
1: I tried. Well, I've never had a situation like this before. Um, The closest I've ever come has been Delray because my family lives in Palm Beach Gardens. So going down to Delray was sort of a trip home. And so I did see my, my kids came with me. They stayed with my parents. So I did see them in the morning. But knowing sort of that my mom was there to do all the things and I didn't really have to to make sure every, every little detail was like, who's the babysitter for today? Like, did I make sure is, who's doing the carpool? Did I get <laughs> anything? Um, it was, it was a challenge. And I will say the Dallas open, they were very kind. They were like, we, you can stay in the hotel. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to push through. But by yeah. the end guys, I'm not going to lie. I was like just praying that I could string together coherent sentences. Cause I was not sleeping enough. <laughs>
2: Oh, oh gosh. Man. I can't it's, imagine it's hard. <laughs> even like us, like being there during a full day session and a night session, like, you know, just doing like social media, but like sitting in the stands more or less as fans. Like we were pretty tired just from like, mm-hmm. I guess the indoor, you know, like the indoor aspect and like being like kind of confined, like not being able to like walk yeah. around rounds like you would be at a slam kind of took its toll on us a little bit. Yeah. So I can't imagine how it did for you being there, you know, 12 hour, 12 plus hour days.
1: And it was great. Like, and that's the thing about tennis. And you guys know this too, from, from the on site work that you guys have done, you just kind of know what a tournament week is going to be. You know, that mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. probably aren't going to have any idea what's going on in the world, or at least this is for me. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like there could be something major that happens in like international news. And I probably have no idea.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and you just sort of know that, you know, the laundry is going to pile up and you're just going to catch up on life when you're done. And, I think having done a lot of tennis, you just, you know what to expect. Uh, That's always Mm -hmm. one of the the funnier. It's not, it's really not funny. It makes me chuckle a little bit internally though, when I work bigger events. So say U S open or Indian Wells, where they might have a first time producer or a first time Mm -hmm. stage manager, who's coming from another sport inevitably by like day two and a half, they're like, this, this is what you guys do. (laughs) so it's just like if you're coming from really any other major sport even uh, and we're talking at the highest level nobody Uh puts in the hours that people who work tournament tennis Uh at the the tour level do so
0: yeah because it's all day it's like 11 a.m to midnight a lot of days in nba it's a two-hour game and nfl Mm -hmm. it's a three-hour game that's it that's interesting um Question about the the different levels of tournaments. So, Dallas is a two hundred and fifty. Uh, you're going to Indian Wells, I assume. Yeah. So that's a Masters one thousand. Then we've got the Grand Slams. How do they all kind of compare to each other? Um, from uh, well, I guess we'll get into doubles from a doubles perspective uh, in your mind.
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, from a doubles perspective. I always just find it amazing how many people consistently turn out for doubles,
2: mm-hmm. if
1: you were to look on social media platforms, which is why, you know, you guys are carrying the doubles flag and I love it so much because I, I think it was pretty recently. <laughs> was it Marcelo Mello? Somebody called out one of the tennis bodies for their lack of coverage of Doubles and listen. I also get it from that perspective. On social media, doubles is not going to get probably the, the same type of engagement unless a server hits the volley or in the back of the head or something like that. It can, <laughs> yeah. it can, but it's it, in terms of there's just they don't cast a, a super wide net for doubles, and as mm-hmm. a result, it's similar. Like really, guys, I feel like it's how people talk about women's sports. Like, give them mm-hmm. the platform. And you and you will see that it does bring in tons of interest and it can bring in tons of money. And it Mm -hmm. is exciting to watch. I think all those same things are true about doubles. Um, I just think. People don't necessarily cast a wide enough net in terms of the coverage of doubles. Um, So I think maybe Mm -hmm. some of the same issues are to me are present sort of in in both areas. I think they're they're comparable to me. Um, Yeah. I, I, but people turn out. I think that yeah. really across levels, whether it's a two fifty to a five hundred to a one thousand, people are there and people stay for the doubles and people so often are like, you see like the face. This is so amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. They have so much fun. <laughs>
1: right. Exactly. It's fun. The players are are generally more. I shouldn't say more, but, but a lot of times they're more interactive, um, with mm-hmm. the especially fans.
0: when you get like a singles player playing doubles. Like yes. that's, yeah. Um, yeah. I loved, um,
2: watching John Isner and Jack Sock on stadium court at, in Dallas. And, uh, they had, I forget who they, who we saw them. Well, do you remember who we watched them play against? Like the quarters? They... they
0: played, um, who was she it? Knows. I don't remember. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I think it was. was it?
2: Yeah, it was, uh, that was a really, fun, it's always really fun to see singles players and doubles draws, which I think is like a huge appeal for Indian Wells too. this, all the single stars, you know, typically seem to come out at Indian Wells. What do you that, think? I, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead.
1: No, sorry. Ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say the, the one thing that I, the singles players playing doubles to me have a huge advantage in terms of the box office appeal. Obviously there's the factor that mm-hmm. maybe they're more well-known to begin with, but also this is not their livelihood. So they can afford to yeah. show a little bit on the court. They can afford to go for the ridiculous shot. And so I, it's, it's a little unfair because I, I think some people are like, Oh, well, yeah. the guys who, you know, or, or the women who play just doubles, like it just isn't, isn't as fun to box. Yeah. Well, it, it, a it can be fun to watch but B it's it, a lot if it's not it's because it, there's a lot more riding on it for people who yeah. just play doubles they can't they can't afford like even watching Sam Query play doubles with Jackson Withrow who yeah. Jackson is de- a delightful person um as is Sam but Sam is going to be a little looser on the doubles court yeah. and Jackson they're just the tension level uh, and to be fair anyone in relation to Sam there's probably going to be up, a differential yeah. in, the, in the tension <laughs> level, but you could, you could see the difference in terms of how they approached it. Just eat, written yeah. all over their faces. It's just different for the people who like the, it, their paycheck is how well they do in doubles and that's it. And so I think that the singles players have an advantage in more than one way in terms of how many people they draw to a doubles match.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge discrepancy. Um, I remember being at the at Indian Wells last year and watching. I think Coco was playing with uh, Layla Fernandez, um, and it was just a totally packed house on Stadium Three. Uh, and yeah, it's this just like you said. Um, Coco is just having a good time. Her and Layla are both having a good time, um, and it creates like a better atmosphere. And then there's also more of a buzz and like a story around it because it's like, Oh, Coco's playing doubles. Coco's playing doubles. Cause it's like, I guess so unique. Um, yeah. but anyways, I, I, looked up, uh, who Isner and Soccer were playing. So it was Oscar Ate and Blair, we're going to need your help here. Cause I never had to know how to pronounce these names. Peter, Peter
1: Goyavchik, my fave
0: <laughs> Goyavchik. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. That's um, they, who it was they
1: were hilarious by the way, from the very, they, they did. I don't know if they were, I, I don't know if they're like traveling to some tournaments together or, or what the deal is, but they were like joined at the hip for the whole week. So it was neat to see them, Uh, you know, get to play together. The Germans stuck together uh, in Dallas for sure.
0: Yeah. So uh, speaking of the different players and their personalities, who have been some of your Favorite or, or most interesting interviews? Uh, and then second part to that question, how do the the top players, so like if you interview Federer and Nadal or Serena, um, how do they compare to some of like the younger players? Ooh,
1: good question. Um, so my favorites. I, Grigor is always a favorite for me just because he... To be honest, sometimes Grigor gives you too much. You're like, Grigor, I don't, I don't have time for this whole answer.
0: <laughs> I don't need your <laughs> and, life story, buddy.
1: <laughs> but, right. But you know, he is, he's not annoyed to be there. He is one of yeah. the most genuine people you will ever meet. Um, he has fun with whatever it is. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Those are sort mm-hmm. of the, to me, like the puzzle pieces to somebody who I enjoy interviewing or doing things with. Um mm-hmm. Francis Tiafoe is another one who I would also describe in those same ways. He sometimes doesn't do as well on the microphone. Um, Like he, Mm -hmm. he does great, like on a one-on-one, if we're having a conversation or if we're doing Uh. social media away from the court, sometimes he's a little looser in those situations. So that's probably where I would prefer to, to talk to Francis, but he has come a long way too. Um, I'm always just amazed that we expect, especially players whose uh, first language is not English that we just expect Mm. them to be able to go up to the microphone and say something insightful and clever and make people laugh. Like (laughs) the bar, the bar has been set so high for what we expect for these players post-match.
0: No
2: pressure.
0: Yeah. I read, I read on Twitter, I think last night that like Jennifer Brady froze up on tennis channel. Did y'all see that? Oh no, I, I, I didn't see she was commentating. Her yeah, she. they were like had her on all week and apparently, I didn't see it, but I don't know, I saw on Twitter that like she totally just like locked up on Tennis Channel. Anyways, sorry I, to call out Jennifer. No, Hardy, no, but,
1: but that, that's exactly I mean, what you were
0: talking about.
1: It is it is hard. It's mm-hmm. just it's just so far out of a lot of their comfort zones. So um, yeah, Grigor's a great one uh, on the women's side. Arena Savalenka on court. Never fails to make me laugh. Uh, half the time, I'm not even sure she has even listened to my question, but she had, she will take it somewhere in the answer. And she, I would say almost always gets a laugh. Um, so she makes me a little nervous to be honest. Cause I'm like, I don't know what's coming, but also I love, I love that. She just kind of says whatever's on her mind. Um,
0: hilarious.
1: oh gosh, who are, who are some others, man? This this is go ahead.
0: What about uh the part two, the some of the top ones? I know we're like kind of in a crunch for time, so I want to make sure we get through a few. Yeah, yeah,
1: fair. Okay. So I would say the biggest difference is just that I am much more conscious of the clock.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um
1: they for Hmm. the most part, they are all great. Um, but they are perhaps more conscious of the clock and I am more conscious <laughs> of the clock. And I also sort of mm. have to have like my, my peripheral vision has to be working overtime because often there is a uh, comms person somewhere in my sight line <laughs> who's going to be doing, doing Getting the rapid up, up the signal. Yeah. Yes. because You know, my job is to get as much as I can. Um, and their job is to, to make sure that there's a stopping point. So um, I, but you, in my opinion, being respectful of the time will eventually get you more time, and so it's always mm. my goal to not push it. Um, sometimes it just happens if, you know, say you get a player who's just feeling talkative that day, and you've used three minutes and asked one question. Um, <laughs> those days you yeah. may have to push a little bit more, but I've tried just in terms of my working relationships with people to to try to be respectful of that. So that's really the okay. the biggest difference to me. They're they're all they're all pretty fantastic.
0: Yeah. But their schedules are just so much more packed, it seems like.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. And okay. they want to make sure, especially, you know, with COVID, that's, that's been a big change. It's a lot of times mm. you're doing the media hits, like one next to the other, next to the other. Mm-hmm. And if person to your right sees that you got seven minutes, <laughs> yeah. they start this chain reaction. So so then, it, it you know, when you see what everybody else is getting, it, it becomes even maybe a little bit more complicated in that way.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Um, tell us your story. How'd you get started in tennis? Um, I I know you have to run in probably five or 10 minutes, but uh, no, we're
1: good. Um, (laughs) I, so my dad's a tennis pro. I, he still is to this day. Um, he's a a director of tennis down in Florida. And so I, my, and my mom ran the tennis shop, did all the inventory and, and pretty much ran the business. So I grew up, especially in the summers, um, kind of hanging out at the courts and, you know, just my parents sort of trusted that I wouldn't kill myself. And I played as much yeah. tennis as I could. Um, it was, it was great. I feel like my dad's pros, the, the guys who worked and, and girls who work for my dad, I feel like they probably wanted to run when they saw me coming. Cause I was always like any chance I could get, it was like, do you want to go hit for five minutes? <laughs> I 10 minutes of mini tennis. Like let's go. Um, no, but for the most part, they were fantastic. So I, I grew up around tennis, um, and then was in Florida for most of my formative years, which is obviously a super competitive USDA yeah. section, um, played tournaments there, was sort of a late bloomer, have liked to volley, have a one-handed backhand, Got had people hitting high backhands to me all match long for <laughs> much of my early tennis days. Um, but anyway, once sort of everything fell together, um, you know, decided to, to go the college route and ended up at Rice university, absolutely loved it. And, but was not sure afterward what I really wanted to do with my life, (laughs) um, taught some tennis immediately after, uh, worked for my dad for a little bit, and then got a job kind of developing a brand new club in Houston. Um, it was really great backgrounds. Um, but was also probably not what I saw myself doing for the rest of my life. So um, got married at about at 25 and then traveled minor league baseball. My husband was playing minor league baseball at the time. So we traveled for like three years. We moved about 16 times, I think, like everything we owned could fit in our car. Um, but during that time, I, because I couldn't have a, a quote unquote normal job, I started writing tennis website. And that's sort of where it all began. And then when I moved back to Houston, when he was done playing baseball, got a job working for tennis now. Um, and that's where I covered a lot. I I covered several tournaments with them. And I mean, Mm -hmm. you guys know the media rooms and granted things COVID has changed some things and I hope they'll change back just because if I were a young person starting out right now, it's really hard to, to break in because it's, it's the media rooms. It's meeting other people in tennis. Like that's, tennis is small enough that you just have to sort of like build your yeah. network. And mm-hmm. when a position comes available, maybe that person can say, Oh, I met this, you know, young, yeah. whatever, who's who really wants to get started, who is really good at whatever tournament that they met you at. So I feel like it's, it's become much harder, but for me, the media rooms were and building those connections. That's really where it all started um, for mm-hmm. me. And it was one of those connections. One of my best friends now, Nick McCarvel who recommended me for my first ever stadium hosting job in 2015 at the U S open. Um, and the rest, the rest is history. I started at the U S open. So everybody from there on out was like, Oh, well you've done, you've done the U S open. You yeah. must know what you're doing.
2: <laughs> the good, it's good awesome.
0: resume builder yeah, good, uh, totally. fender in your cap. So, um, yeah, it's, it's funny to hear like all the, everybody's different stories on how they got started. It's all so different. I don't know so many different angles and ways to get into it. Um, so a couple of final rapid fire questions for you. I'm going to let Hamlin uh, take his and then I'll do mine at the end. Okay. Ready. Yeah. One tennis
2: wish list or one tennis wish for
1: 2022. 20, that Roger can come back healthy um, and, and mm, his career on his own terms.
2: Well said. Favorite tournament to go to as a fan?
1: As a fan. Ooh, okay. Threw me a curveball there at the end. I Mm. feel like as a fan, I don't know that much compares to the U S open, the vibe, the Mm. fan vibe at the U S open is, is just like, if you get one of those good matches, like you'll never forget it.
2: Best under the radar tournament or host city.
1: I don't know if it's, under the radar, but I would preach from my soapbox that everyone should go to the hall of fame open in Newport in July. Uh, Mm -hmm. Go what the tennis now, especially now that they've resurfaced the courts. It's like we had really solid tennis. It was fun to watch. Um, You can go to the museum. You can see the induction, go to the hall of fame open.
2: Always been on the bucket list. So we'll keep that in mind. And then last one for me, Who's your dream mixed doubles team?
1: Hmm. Can it be past? Are we just talking about active players here?
2: It can it's be anybody. Yeah.
1: Okay. Oh my gosh, there's just so many options. I have like <laughs> my my tennis player Rolodex is is. Do uh, you like
0: maybe a top three or like three from each side
1: i mean i okay so this is gonna be really <laughs> random and then perhaps there's some recency bias here and I, I don't even think the doubles would be any good but uh delpo and gabriella sabatini
2: mm. Ooh, that's a good one talk about crowd <laughs> crowd favorites that would be a house. <laughs> sentimental yeah sentimental favorites i'll go for it well i think that was that was it for me
0: Um. So follow up to one of Hamlin, so for your favorite tournaments, have you been to most of the international tournaments as well?
1: I wouldn't say most, but definitely some.
0: Okay. Um, what about Aussie, French, Wimbledon? Have you been to all three of those? I have, okay. yes. Um, what is your favorite tennis book?
1: I. This is probably going to be a cliche answer, but The Inner Game <laughs> of Tennis – it's hard. It's to be a good in.
0: one. Yeah, um, that is. The There's a reason it's history. still popular.
1: The, uh, the other tennis book. And I can't say that I've read all of them, but the other one that I feel like I read and I was like, wow, that's quite, quite a story is, um, Oh my goodness. Am I going to blank on, um, Andrea shoot. Um, <laughs> Hang on. No, uh, I even know I the look name of, of her foundation. Um, this ring of ring of bell to you, Andrea Yeager. There we go. Thank you. Uh, um, she was a prodigy back in the day and has a really fascinating story and has pretty much dedicated her life to um, helping kids. So it's, it's really fascinating story.
0: That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What's uh, okay. I see it here. Yeah. Cool. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, Great. what's your favorite, uh, non-tennis book?
1: Favorite non-tennis book.
0: Or it can be a genre. Or...
1: I really liked, uh, consider the lobster. Um, it mm. was a collection of essays, um, yeah. So the, the whole book was a collection of essays, but it was, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's one of the ones that I don't know, I feel like I could read it multiple other times.
2: It's
0: yeah. His, so his, um, string theory is my favorite tennis book. Nice. Uh, David Foster Wallace. Yeah. Did, did he, isn't he the consider the lobster author? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> I thought, I thought I had that.
1: that's, that's where I'm, gosh, it's been a while. Um, did he, did he was, did he write all the essays in there? He's definitely in there.
0: I don't know. Um, he may not have written all of them.
1: So that's, that's the question, but yes, I, I, there's, there is a tennis uh, essay in there by him. So yeah. Oh, okay. I really enjoyed it.
0: Got it. Um, and then last question and we'll let you go. Uh, it's kind of broad, but take this from any angle you'd like. H- how do we grow the game of doubles?
1: I think we touched on it a little bit earlier. I I Mm -hmm. think that whether it's tournaments or the tennis governing bodies, I feel like they have to trust the product. Uh, Mm. And we saw like even at the Australian Open, there was perhaps some distrust of the product or that the product (laughs) could carry itself. Um, And Mm. I think that in doubles to me, that is key is you have to, before doubles can reach its potential, people have to trust that there is potential to be reached. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Um, and so for me, I think that that is big. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I do think it would be huge. Like Jack Sock playing doubles, a great thing for doubles. Nick Curious playing mm-hmm. doubles, also a great thing uh, there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the few you know, I mean, like the Bryans were a doubles team. That's what they did was doubles, but they were, they also sort of understood the, the show aspect of it. Right. Right. I would love it if, and, and some, some doubles players do this, but I, I just, it'd be so great if more doubles players could embrace
2: Mm-hmm. making
1: it a show. And, and that's easier said than done, because if my livelihood was yeah. riding on whether or not I won tennis matches, uh, <laughs> if I felt like something might distract from that, I'd be like, heck no. But I, I do think it can be done. I think it just sort of has to be normalized and encouraged. Um, yeah, And that would take people probably caring more. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, feel, right. I feel like it's like a chicken or it's the egg interesting. thing almost
0: for me. It is. Yeah. I've used that exact same analogy before on previous episodes. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. Do, do you start with, um, you know, tennis channel and ESPN and whoever else covering it more, or do you start with the players putting on a better show, creating the demand then, and they get tennis channels attention. Uh, and then that creates more demand, you know, so it's, it can go both ways, but I, I like the, um, the thing you said about uh, how the Bryan brothers knew how to put on a show that's really good. And and I'm with you on like, if I'm a doubles player, I'm really like, this is my livelihood. So I'm focused. So I'm not going to try to put on a show, but at the same time, if they're able to grow their like personal brand and it helps grow doubles, they'll they'll have a lot more business opportunities through social media endorsements through, you know, whatever else. So I I think that, I think if some of them start to see that, and I think some of them are, um, and and one or two of them has like a huge success with it, then the other ones will be like, "Oh, here's the roadmap. Like, I gotta have a personality. I gotta be put on a show on the court, uh, grow my social following, and then I'm making more money off the court maybe than I am on the court."
1: That's a great. That's a really great point. And yes, I wish more players sort of realized the potential, but that's where I feel like can can there be training? Can there be, Mm -hmm. can somebody be sort of like encouraging? Like these are like dollars on the table that you could have. Um, Liam Brody is a really good example of that to me. He's been playing Mm -hmm. almost exclusively challengers and futures for the past several years. And he has built Mm -hmm. up and granted, he comes from a, a market that really cares about its tennis. But he has built up a following. He is very aware of sort of the social landscape in tennis. Yeah. Um, yeah. He has he has a sense of humor. He, I just think that tennis, especially tennis people, they want to have people like that to latch on to. So yes, absolutely. And you can people are just in total control of their own brand today. Which for journalists. <laughs> Some some players uh, yeah. like, yeah. would say, well, why do I why would I talk to these people when I could have control um, on on the flip side? It can be really great for players and and sort of p- choosing their own destiny as far as as how much money they want to make.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting topic. And go ahead, Han. Oh, it sounds like we just need Nick Kyrgios to become a double
2: specialist. that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, it might be possible, guys. Like, I, people would pay him to show up without a doubt. Um, People pay him to show up now, and he generally, I shouldn't say generally, and many times, I mean, he could just as easily win the tournament as tank a first round match. Like, you have no idea what you're going to get. And people are still shelling out big bucks to get him at their tournaments. I Mm -hmm. think they would still pay him to show up and play doubles for sure.
2: Oh yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And he loves it. He likes the team aspect. I don't, I like, I actually think it's a possibility.
0: Yeah. I don't know. yeah it makes tons of sense. And you know, we could um talk about this all day, but I, f- I feel like every time I talk with someone about this, I learn something new and that little rant I had a few minutes ago was like, it felt like a, bl- uh, a breakthrough Blair. So thank you for uh, <laughs> inspiring that.
2: I feel
1: <laughs> so, uh, so privileged to have been present for this breakthrough with two people who talk a lot and know a lot about double. So that's
0: Whoa, we're trying to make it happen. Um, well, thanks for hopping on and uh, Hanlon. Thanks for coming on again uh, for your second appearance. Oh yeah. Uh, Thank and you everyone guys. we You're will, uh, we'll talk to y'all uh, next time.
1: I would love that. And, and yeah, circle back with me after Anine Wells because stadium three, which is where I will be gets a lot of doubles action. So I would love, be happy to do this again. Anytime. Love talking about doubles.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll be there. So we'll, we'll see you at stadium three.
1: There you go. Don't, don't <laughs> tell anyone else. My trivia question
2: secret. Okay. <laughs>
0: We're All right. out. Secret safe. If you're a doubles player, you'll love our weekly doubles newsletter. Every Thursday, we send you doubles tips and strategies to help you improve your game and become a smarter player. When you sign up, you'll get a free 10-page guide on how to play with more confidence and dominate at the net in doubles. You can go to thetennistribe.com to sign up now.